Good morning. It is good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming and being a part of our worship services this morning. And as, as it is obvious, we are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning as uh, our time in worship. And, and, you know, celebrating the Lord's Supper is one of, of the two, one of two ordinances that are given to the church uh, that we are to observe. Uh, the other is baptism, and baptism is, is designed to be uh, an, an ordinance that is, is to be practiced once in the life of a believer after they uh, have come to faith in Christ. It's an outward display, an outward uh, testimony to the onlooking world that a person has united themselves to the body of Christ. And, and so it's an outward demonstration of that, uh, something that has taken place on the inside of a person spiritually. But the Lord's Supper is also another ordinance, and it, and it's something that is to be repeated regularly throughout the life of the believer. And it, too, has the same purpose. It is designed to be an outward demonstration to the onlooking world, to tell them that we have united ourselves together in the body of Christ. But it also has an added element to it. It's something that's designed to, to be a reminder to the believer. It's a, it's, it's a time when we as believers come around the table of the Lord in order to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's an important thing for me because I need reminders. That You can ask my wife. She, she will tell you that I need to be reminded of things quite regularly. As a matter of fact, I've even got apps set up on my phone now to remind me of certain things regularly because I tend to forget. And it is because we as humans tend to forget that particularly as Christians, we need to come back together and remind ourselves of what it is that Christ has done for us. And the Lord's Supper is an opportunity in the life of a believer to do exactly that. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I certainly hope that you do, would you please take them and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We, as we prepare to gather around the table of the Lord, I think it's very important that we stop and remind ourselves and read for ourselves one of the most instructional passages in the New Testament with regard to the Lord's Supper. And it will instruct us with regard to our attitudes. It will instruct, instruct us with regard to our actions that ought to surround our partaking together of this sacred meal. So beginning in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11, hear what the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says this, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. The rest I will set in order when I come. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that we receive through it. And Father, thank you for the reminder that it gives to us of who you are and who we are in you. Now, as we gather around this table this morning and as we gather around your word, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts and let your Holy Spirit do his work in us as believers, as the body of Christ, to continue to conform us in the image of your Son. Most of all, continue to point us to Christ, who is not only our example, but he is our Savior. We pray this day in Christ's name. Amen. What should be clear, I think, when we read a passage like this is that the eating of the Lord's Supper, the partaking of it together among the body was something that happened on a consistent basis in the early church. It was regularly celebrated. The reason we know that is because Paul repeatedly repeats the phrase over and over again about the church coming together. And because it repeats that, we know that that was a regular occurrence of the church for them to come together around the table. But what is also immediately clear is that not everything when they came together around the table was as it should have been, particularly as it pertained to, to attitudes and even some of the procedures that were going on. They were not done the way that they should be. And so Paul sits down to write a letter of instruction and correction with how the church should behave. Now, we should be reminded that the institution of the Lord's Supper was not something that Paul came up with. In fact, he tells us there that he received this from the Lord Jesus, and he passed it on to the church. The Lord Jesus is the one who instituted this sacred meal as something that his disciples were to continue to participate in. As a matter of fact, Jesus instituted this sacred meal during the celebration of Passover. And it's, and it's highly uh, significant that the Lord's Supper is connected to Passover. In fact, you, you, you might remember that the Passover meal was celebrated by the Jews as a way of signifying and remembering their deliverance from Egyptian slavery. From over 400 years of slavery, they had been led out. And the Passover meal was a, a, a way by which they were allowed to remember that the death angel passed over every house of which the doorposts and lentils were sprinkled with the blood of a lamb. Well, Jesus was celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples the night before he, was, before he was crucified. And when he did this, he actually infused the whole meaning of Passover with, with an even greater understanding of an infinitely greater deliverance that he himself came to provide for those who would believe in him. You see, while the Passover meal celebrated a temporary physical deliverance of the Jews from Egypt, 
The Lord's Supper celebrates the permanent and spiritual deliverance of those who trust in Christ from the bondage of sin and death. Consequently, the Lord's Supper is, when it's celebrated, it is there to remind us of the cross of Jesus Christ upon which He suffered and died in order to absorb the holy wrath of God against sin, in order to secure our pardon and to secure our freedom. As such, the Lord's Supper is a meal that is intended to unite believers together into a common bond of faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. However, it was doing just the opposite of that in Corinth. It became an occasion in Corinth for there to become divisions. As a matter of fact, Paul's not happy when he writes this letter. He gets to verse 17. He says, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. So what was happening? What was going on in Corinth that, that necessitated Paul to address this issue? Well, he had learned that there was, a great, there was a great division among the people. Literally in the Greek, it says there was a schism that had developed among them. There was a, there was a, dissen, a dissension among the body. And in fact, based upon what Paul writes in this letter, the Corinthians were really having a hard time getting along with one another. It was really difficult for them to agree upon anything together. Instead of sharing in fellowship and sharing in worship, they were selfishly indulging themselves. They were arguing. They were disputing with one another. As a matter of fact, Paul in the very introduction to his letter of 1 Corinthians, from the very beginning when he, he begins the first introductory remarks, the first thing that he comes out of the gate with to the church in Corinth, beginning in chapter 1, verse 10, is this, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that there are contentions among you. So the setting and the context of what Paul writes here in chapter 11 is that the church of Corinth is in turmoil. There were contentions, there were factions, there were schisms, there were arguments going on. So that tells us of the attitudes and the associated actions that were accompanying what was happening there in Corinth. But the context of what Paul is writing specifically about here tells us something else important. We should note that the celebration of the Lord's Supper occurred in the context of a genuine meal that took place, where the body of believers would come together to share in a meal together around the table. And this was often referred to as the love feast. It was a, it was a time where a meal would be shared, and, and, and then following that meal would be a celebration of the Lord's Supper together. And it was commonly referred to as communion. Communion, but, it, but in the case of what we see here in, in, in Corinth, the meaning behind communion was being obscured by the abuses of the people and by their schisms. Consequently, Paul tells them that, that they had so perverted the celebration of the Lord's Supper that it had become a mockery. In fact, he tells them in verse 20, he says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Effectively, Paul says, you may be breaking bread together and you may be passing the cup and repeating words about Jesus, but what you're doing has nothing to do with the ordinance that the Lord instituted. Christ has no part in it. 
Evidently what was happening was that the poorer believers, they were coming to this love feast and, and they, were, they were, didn't have anything. They were coming there to be able to, to eat together uh, with the body. But what was taking place was those who were wealthy, who had brought the food, weren't waiting on the poor ones to get there. And so they were eating ahead of them. And they, as a matter of fact, they were gorging themselves and they were drinking the wine until they had gotten drunk. And the poor believers were leaving. They were, they were leaving hungry, not just physically, but they were leaving hungry spiritually as well. Paul says, in doing what was happening there, the people were mocking the very purpose of the occasion to show up. They were mocking it, and something that was to bring harmony and to bring unity to the body of Christ was doing just the opposite. And Paul was disgusted with their behavior. He says in verse 22, and I'll put it in my own vernacular, he says this, he says, if you think you're going to get praise from me, you're not going to get any praise from me. You won't get my approval. You won't get my praise. In his commentary on this passage, John MacArthur sums up this section really well. Let me read you what he wrote. He, he writes, a Christian's attitudes and motives should be pure at all times. But when believers come to the table of the Lord, sharing in the bread of His body and the cup of His blood, it is absolutely necessary that they leave behind all sin and all bitterness and all prejudice and all class pride and all feelings of superiority. Of all places and occasions, those attitudes are most out of place at the Lord's Supper. They grievously profane that holy, beautiful, and unifying ordinance of God. Now, if as I said earlier, the Lord's Supper is about remembrance, then really the first thing that we must remember is that nothing that you nor I could ever do would make us worthy to receive an invitation to such a holy and a sacred meal. The Bible is clear. That salvation comes only by grace through faith, which excludes all manner of boasting and pride and self-importance. As we come to the table of the Lord, we must be mindful of the fact that we are here only by the grace of God. And consequently, we must remember grace. that because of His there is no place for factions and dissensions, particularly as it pertains to celebrating the Lord's Supper. That leads me to the first point that I want you to know. The first point on your outline this morning is this. The Lord's Supper is the most holy of meals of which we are unworthy participants. The Lord's Supper is the most holy of meals of which we are unworthy participants. Now, one of my favorite phrases to describe what Paul says next, beginning in verse 23, is what John MacArthur has written, and I just want to read it to you. He says, beginning in verse 23, these verses are like a diamond dropped in a muddy road. One of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture is given in the middle of a strong rebuke of worldly, carnal, selfish, and insensitive attitudes and behavior. That's exactly what we've just seen. Paul's, Paul's upset at the way that the church in Corinth is behaving. But right in the middle of that rebuke, he then begins to tell us about what Jesus instituted on the night before he was betrayed. And even in that, we see this beautiful jewel against such a filthy backdrop. 
Because it tells us there that on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, that's when he instituted this Lord's Supper. In other words, it was against the backdrop of Satan doing everything within his power to defeat Jesus. It was against, it was against the backdrop of him doing everything in his sinister ability to, to undermine the work of Christ that on that very moment when he was betrayed, it was then that Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. Notice what Paul says regarding what Jesus did. He says he took bread, and when he had broken it, he gave thanks. That word thanks in Greek, by the way, is the word eucharisto. It's from where we get the same word, the Eucharist, which many refer to the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist. It's because it means to give thanks. And so when Jesus had given thanks, it says that he broke the bread, and he says, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Some of your versions won't have that was broken for you, but what it does have is that this is my body, which is for you. And as you've heard me say so many times, and I'll continue to say it, theology and doctrine hang upon prepositions and prepositional phrases. And so what I want you to hear, first of all, is that his body was given for you. That prepositional phrase is so important, and it is so beautiful. Because it tells us the reason why Christ died. It tells us the reason why He gave of Himself. It tells us the purpose for why He did what He did. He did it for my and your behalf. What He endured, what He suffered, His death, it was done for us. We are the beneficiaries of what He went through. And what that means is that Christ died as our substitute. He gave His body for us. As sinners, you and I deserved to die. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve eternal life. Instead, because we are sinners, what we deserve is death. However, Christ gave Himself in our place. He gave Himself as our substitute. He willingly endured the cross so that we might have life. For in Christ's body and blood, which meant death for Him, means life to those who believe. This is our only hope. We have nothing else upon which we can hang any hope of salvation and eternal life. Next, I want you to notice this. Paul reminds the Corinthians of what Christ said. He said, in the same manner, He took the cup. And He, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, this is the second time he's given us that prepositional phrase, in remembrance. And there, too, we must understand how important it is. As I said earlier, we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to, to, to go on with our lives and to become so enamored with everything that's happening around us and what we've got going on that oftentimes we can forget exactly what it is that Christ has done for us. This is a moment this morning for us to stop and to remember through the bread and through the cup exactly what Jesus has done for us. That brings me to the second point that I want you to see this morning. The second point on your outline is this. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that Christ gave Himself up for us in death. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that Christ gave Himself up for us in death. As I said earlier, one of the primary reasons that we do this is because we're so prone to forget. We're like the Corinthians. We're prone to division and dissension that comes from horizontally measuring ourselves against one another. 
We're prone to believing that we can somehow earn our salvation. We're prone to focus more on externals rather than on the internals of our heart. But right here in the middle of this muddy road, this filthy backdrop of our lives, we are reminded of what is the most beautiful and important jewel in all the universe. That the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself up for us in death that we might live. But I want you to know that's not all. We must also understand that the supper is also not just a reminder for our own benefit, though it is, but it is also something that we use to proclaim to the world. In fact, look at what he says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this body and drink this cup, the Lord says that you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. In other words, remembering Christ enables us to proclaim Christ and to proclaim the good news of what He has done. That leads me to the next thing that I want you to see this morning. The third point on your outline this morning is this. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation to the world of the Lord's atoning sacrifice for sinners. You see, every time we come together as a body of believers and gather around the table of the Lord, we proclaim the gospel to those who observe us. We proclaim that His death on our behalf, the giving of His body and the shedding of His blood... It is that that saves us. Furthermore, by partaking of this meal, we openly testify to the fact that we're not ashamed of the Lord. We're not ashamed of His blood. We also openly proclaim that we belong to Christ and that we are obedient to Him. Furthermore, our participation in the Lord's Supper is a declaration to all that Christ will one day come again. It's not just about what He did in the past. Though it is, it is also a declaration of what He will do in the future. That He will one day split open the sky and He will come back and He will receive us unto Himself that where He is, there we may be also. It is a declaration that Christ is not done. He is not removed from His creation, but that He is still intimately involved in it. And what He has promised that He will do, He still will do. He will come and He will come back and receive us to Himself. Friends, what we remind ourselves of and what we proclaim to the onlooking world is good news. It's, it's the good news of our salvation. But we must also understand this. Such good news must be accepted soberly and it must be accepted with serious contemplation. See, in fact, the, the verses that follow what Paul has just said, he issues a very stern warning to the Corinthians in light of their negligent behavior. He tells them that they are to examine themselves. And what that tells us is, is that it is absolutely possible that one can come to the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. That they can come and they can participate in it ritualistically. They can go through the motions without ever going through the emotions. They can treat it lightly rather than treating it seriously. It's possible that some may come with a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of hatred toward another believer, or to come with sin in their lives of which they refuse to repent and turn from. To such a one, the Apostle Paul issues a very stern warning. He says, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, 
not discerning the Lord's body. Therefore, Paul says in verse 28, let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In other words, before we partake of the bread and before we partake of the cup, we are to give ourselves a thorough self-examination. To examine our, 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 our hearts and the motives that we have and the attitudes toward the Lord and toward fellow believers. And we're also to examine it with regard to our position toward communion itself. Consequently, we see the last thing that this text tells us. The fourth point on your outline this morning is this. The Lord's Supper is an invitation to be made right with God. The Lord's Supper is an invitation to be made right with God. You see, according to what Paul tells the church in Corinth, the table of the Lord became a special place for the purifying of the church. It's a place that, that brings us back to the unworthiness which should remove all forms of pride and, and all forms of, of attitudes of superiority. It also points us to the one who gave himself up for us and provides us with our only hope for salvation. And as such, we must examine ourselves and in repentance, we must turn in obedience to the one who died in our place. And that is true just, not just of those who are in the body of Christ, but it is also true of those who are not in the body of Christ as well. See, friend, if you're here and you're not a believer, I want you to know, quite honestly, this meal is not for you. It's for those who are a part of the body of Christ. If you've never placed your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, then, then quite frankly, you remain apart from the family of believers. But let me also say this to you. As you observe the family of believers participate in this supper today, let it be also an invitation to you to be made right with God. You see, the Scriptures teach us that all who will confess their sins before a just and holy God and then place their faith in the atoning work of Christ on the cross will be saved. Here's the truth of the gospel. There's not a one of us in this room this morning who will ever gain heaven apart from the atoning work of Christ on the cross. No other way will we ever find our way before Him. Therefore, the Lord's Supper is an invitation to those who have trusted in Christ as well as an invitation to those who have not and have never believed in Him to be made right with Him. So if we take all of that together this morning and we condense it into a single sentence, we come to this. My sermon in a sentence this morning is this. The Lord's Supper is a holy meal that reminds us that Christ died as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, proclaims that good news to all who will hear, and invites all who will be made right with God. All who will to be made right with God. So this morning, before we partake of this meal together, I want us to spend some time in reflection. A time of, of examination, self-examination. Musicians are going to begin playing. And as they do, I want you just where you are, just to bow your heads and close your eyes and just to spend some time before the Lord, just, just you confessing your sins and examining yourself as the Bible says that we ought as we reflect upon this time before we partake of this supper together.
when Jesus gathered with his disciples on that night before he was crucified, two very common elements that were on that table would have been bread and the fruit of the vine. And just as we read, Jesus took the bread that day and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And just as we've seen this morning, what it reminds us of is the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. That he willingly died in the place of sinners just like you and I who will trust in him and believe upon him. If you're here this morning and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have confessed your sins and trusted in him, you're invited to participate in this meal. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we have the opportunity to gather as believers around this table to be reminded of what you have done on our behalf and to proclaim your death until you come again. I pray that you would encourage our hearts. Help us to see you for who you are. In Christ's name I pray.
body of Christ, which is for you. Take and eat. The other very common thing to have on any Jewish table would have been the cup. And it would have been filled with the fruit of the vine, the red wine that we, we read about. And it would have been very natural for Jesus to have pointed to that because of its color and infused that with the meaning of the fact that his blood of that same color, that red, that crimson, would in a very short time be spilled on behalf of those with whom he was serving and, and, and celebrating that meal that night. And so he took that moment with that cup and said, when you come together, and as often as you do this in remembrance of me that you drink this, this fruit of the vine, remember that my blood is what saves you. Remember that it is through the shed, only through the shedding of blood that there is any remission of sins. And since all of us are sinners, there's not a one of us that can say otherwise, then what we come to understand, it is through, only through the blood of Christ we have any hope. And so this morning I invite you, as you hold this very small, clear glass in your hands, and as, as your heart beats, you see the ripples come in that cup, you remember that it was only because of Christ's blood that we can come together as believers in Christ. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Nothing we could ever do, nothing we could ever say could be worthy of, of all the, that we feel in our hearts even now, knowing that, that you died in our place, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Thank you that we can remember that today. In Christ's name.
Christ shed for the remission of sins. Take and drink. In Luke's gospel, the Bible tells us that after Jesus and his disciples had celebrated that last meal together, they went out singing a song. They didn't have the lyrics to Amazing Grace, I'm pretty sure back then, nor did they have the added lyrics that have been added recently my chains being gone but I have no doubt that if they had had those lyrics they would have been happy to have sung because and quite frankly that is the message of the gospel the message of the gospel is that God in his amazing grace and love has demonstrated that love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us what an amazing thought someone would give up their life in mine and your place and not just give it up for temporary benefit give it up so that our chains could be completely gone and we could be set free from the sin that once bound us and from the death that was once our destiny so what other better song could we stand and sing together as a body of believers this morning than that this is also going to serve as our invitation time it's going to be an opportunity for you to rejoice in what the Lord has done to sing it from the depths of your soul but maybe you're here this morning and you'd like to know more about Jesus Maybe you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. I would love to talk with you further. I know Pastor Ted would. I've got a bevy of deacons up here who would love to pray with you. We'd love to be able to talk with you further about that. Maybe you're here and you've got a specific prayer request. You'd like for one of us to pray for you. We'd be glad to do that as well. You may be here and you'd like to know more about our church or speak with us further about that. We'd love to be able to pray with you and set up an opportunity to talk about that. Whatever and however the Lord is moving in your heart today, I invite you to stand and from the depths of your soul sing out of that amazing grace of how good God has been. Stand to your feet and let's sing together.